Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates every single day the people who are making Coast of Mississippi, and Mississippi for that matter, such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, I look back at my time here on, in Coast of Mississippi, and one of the relationships that I really, really look back on so fondly is my relationship with Lisa Marion Roberts, who uh, is the mother to Robin Roberts from Good Morning America and uh, Dorothy Roberts from Pastor Shan. Dorothy's been on the show several times. I'm I'm privileged to call both of them friends. But Lisa Marion was such an inspiring figure. Uh, one of the, you know, it, when you hear Dorothy and Robin talk, they often quote their mother. Their mother was such such an inspiring person. I don't know of anyone who wasn't inspired by Lisa Marion, but you've probably heard Robin talk about this before. She, she says often that she has made her mess, her message. And essentially, when she says that, she's saying that she's taking the negative experiences that she's faced along her life, and she's working very hard to encourage others to use those negative experiences as an encouragement for others. And I think that that is, uh, you know, she's done really well with that. If you think about the journey that she's been through, that definitely applies to today's guest, David McGee. But before we get to David, I want to I want to give you a bit of a backdrop uh, to his incredibly inspiring work. And I, I would say that I hope this conversation uh, is one that is viewed by most parents as one you really need to listen to. You know, I hope you're you're paying attention. And you listen carefully to what's going to un- what's going to unfold over the next uh, you know hour or so uh, for this entire show. I had an opportunity last week uh, to do the opening uh, sort of uh, keynote address about leadership to the One Coast Awards. And um, after the after the session, several people came up to me and we talked about opportunities for the show, et cetera. And one was a a leader from the from the crime prevention community. She introduced herself, and we're going to plan a show together. But she wanted me to know about an effort that's underway, working with law enforcement across the state to bring attention to the opioid crisis in Mississippi. I, you can't read anything about news these days and not run across something that has to do with the opioid crisis. It's something that I'm deeply concerned about, it, and it's getting worse, to be quite honest with you. There's also, uh, if you think about this, this explosion of drug abuse, especially a young, a, a, a young, among young people, there was already something that worked in the lives of young people, even before the pandemic came, came, came along, that exposed them more significantly to depression and potential substance abuse. I, I would say that, uh, and we're going to talk more about this shortly, that kids of this generation feel less hope. And uh, they feel more despair. And that's just a fact. And studies bear it out and actual experience bears it out. Add to that the isolation of the pandemic. And it's really the perfect storm, you know, between availability of drugs, especially opioids, but not just opioids. And the fact that kids are looking to sort of self-medicate. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But again, it's the perfect storm. I came across a story in the Washington Post called the loneliness of an interrupted adolescence. And it's very powerful. And I just want to read a, a segment of the story uh, for you. It was written by 
Ellen McCarthy, again, from the Washington Post. But here's what it says. I'll try to be the person you can trust, Celine Lamb, an 18-year-old volunteer at a teen crisis hotline, told a caller in December. The caller was 17, female, and speaking barely above a whisper. Lately, I've been mad all day, she said on a Friday night late in November. May, mad for no reason. Little things made me mad. I'm angry for no reason. I don't know if it's COVID. In a bedroom on the other side of the country, a long-haired 16-year-old volunteer for a teen crisis hotline listened through headphones and nodded. That must be such a strange feeling, she said. I cut myself once, the caller continued, four days ago, maybe, just to feel something different. Is that something you think you might do again, the volunteer asked? I definitely don't want people to see me as crazy, the caller said, but if I can do it in a place that no one would see it, yeah, I would. The pandemic has punished people of all ages, overwhelming parents, isolating grandparents, short-changing kids, but, this, the, but the emotional fallout for teenagers has been uniquely brutal. At just the age when they are biologically predisposed to seek independence from their families, teens have been trapped at home. Friends who take a paramount importance during adolescence are largely out of reach, accessible mostly through social media, which brings its own mix of satisfying and toxic elements. A June survey of 2021 of the Center and, uh, for Disease Control found that a staggering 26% of 18 to 24-year-olds reported having serious suicidal thoughts in the past 30 days, compared to 16% for ages 25 to 44 and less than 4% for people over 45. Um, the Washington Post story goes on from there, but it's absolutely such a troubling story about the pressures young people feel today. This is the backdrop to David McGee's compelling and incredibly honest book. Dear William is a memoir of his and his son's struggles with, with, that, with substance abuse, but it's so much more than that. And what was behind his son, William, who had been in the Honors College and lettered and track at Ole Miss, dying of a drug overdose. Actually, David had referred to William as, a, as the golden child. Um, in a section from the website that describes the book, I want to read this paragraph to you. A poignant and uplifting message of hope translates un, unimaginable tragedy on an inspirational commitment to saving others, as David founded the William McGee Institute for, for Student Well-Being at the University of Mississippi. His mission is to share solutions to self-medication and addiction, particularly as it touches America's high school and college students, emphasizes that William's story is about much more than a tragic addiction. It's an American story of a family broken by loss and remade with love. I'd like to add that what I've learned about David's story as I've prepared for this show and as I've watched him carefully over the last several months is why I believe parents need to listen carefully to this conversation, and that is this. It's a fact that children look to their parents for hope. And this is a very powerful part of the message. And all I have to say to my friend David is, wow, welcome to Coast View. How you doing, my friend? Thank you so much, Ricky. I think you illustrated the problem uh, that we're facing uh, in what, what I like to say is the American family is under um, just real duress and in at great risk. And we used to think about launching, we'd, we'd get married, we'd launch into this American dream. And, 
you know, that's under assault. Uh, when I was a child and would sit in church and they would talk about the devil, Ricky, I, I would try to envision this little guy in a red suit and I didn't couldn't make sense of that until I really understood that substances that are being so misused and pumped into our country and wrecking our families, that is the devil. And God's work is healing and, you know, that's really the calling that I'm on and why we're trying to take this pain, you know, and turn it into something, I guess, that can help others. Well, listen, let's uh, let's let's take a step back for a second, because we have a we have a prior relationship. Uh, we were co-workers yeah. in a sense. You were in Birmingham. I was in New Orleans. Yeah. We were in the fog of media change together, working for the same company. And um, what I remember about you is that you are incredibly innovative. You were a great leader. You were a really good writer. And people were super high on you as, um, as someone who was really beginning to take on incredible responsibilities. You had written a bunch of business books, I remember. One about Toyota, one about John Deere, the Dallas Cowboys, the list goes on and on. But you, uh, uh, bits and pieces of those learnings kind of became part of every conversation. So you, you understood because of your respect, your 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 sort of immersion into these business books, you, you sort of understood what the best practices look like. How did, how did companies emerge from challenging times? And certainly the media industry, the news media industry in particular, was incredibly uh, challenged. But I remember our conversations about the urgency of, um, of, our, of our industry. But, but I have, have to admit to you, man, I felt bad once I studied your story. I had no idea, David, yeah. what you had been through as a person. And right. I, I feel terrible that I didn't know more about <laughs> that or that I didn't take the time to know that. But well, well, um, well, you, you had this reputation all along as being an innovator yourself and also as a real people person. And I watched you lead and I watched how you treated people. And I, I've admired you and been a friend since the day I met you. And I, I, I know people on the coast and all over the state and region feel the same. And really, though, you know, I, I think at the time, like I wasn't, I, I think when you're going to take your story on a big platform, like my family and I are doing now, uh, I think that you, you really have to be, fully on, you know, secure on your foundation because when you're talking to others, they are often also at risk. And if your messaging is really not right, you know, it can be problematic. So wh where I came from, Ricky, is I, I knew my son William had told me before he died, uh, I want to help people one day. And I really had that same calling, but I knew that I had to really work on myself inside and out and our family had to get itself back on its feet before we could take that story to the people we'll pick and it up right there we'll pick it up right there on the other side but i am deeply inspired by how you have made your mess your message and i'm convinced it's going to save people it's going to keep families together so when we come back we'll continue our conversation with david mcgee Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have David McGee with me, my old friend. And uh, I'm convinced that his book, Dear Williams, and his subsequent effort, which we're going to get to in just a second, the number of speeches that he's given, the way he's pushed this message, that it's going to save people, that he's really made his mess, so to speak, his message. But David, one of the things I want to focus on for just a second, I was really touched in the, uh, in the CBS Good Morning piece where uh, your son Hudson and your wife Kent both spoke. And, and Hudson, what he said essentially was that he, didn't, he wanted, he, want, he hoped that his and William's experience would, 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 would make something good happen. And your wife said something that I thought was so powerful. And I think it really does create a wonderful foundation for discussing the book and, and your efforts. But she said this, brutal, total honesty is the best medication. I've been told keeping secrets makes you sick. But turning toward your painful story and owning it is essential, or else it owns you. Man, that's that's a that's a powerful statement, but my friend. Uh, you know, and it's so unusual, Ricky. I think the reason our story has taken off nationally is there are a lot of people who have written um, books or told stories of individual addiction or family pain, um, but it's it's rare to to really look. Addiction and mental health is a family issue, and so that's what I've told is a family story. But it's rare the rest of the family can join in in telling that because it's not often that the whole family is kind of minus our late son, William, who we sadly lost, but that the whole family ends up in a place of healing at the same time where it can then take its message forth. So, you know, we lost our son, William, to an accidental drug overdose, but we almost also lost our son, Hudson, who was found in a fraternity house on campus, uh, nearly dead, not breathing, with no heartbeat from an accidental drug overdose. And then our daughter also an eating disorder, and I had my own struggles. So, our whole family minus way of being able to come from a place of healing and share its message. And my, my wife is the hero of the story. She really is by, by being brave enough to, to, to push that truth forward. Well, you said, you said that the darkest moment can be a real energy source for, for doing good, doing well and living well. And it was important, you know, it's very clear that, that this story would have never happened in its form, in its current form, Dear William, the book had Kent not supported the effort. And, and clearly she was behind this in a big way, wasn't she? She she literally told me every day, and she's a private person, Ricky. You know, look, she's not like you and I that wants to go. She's comfortable just like you are sailing on the airwaves or me getting up and speaking to a group. Look, she she's a private person, and the fact that she she would look at me in the mornings when I'd get my coffee and I'm writing the book, and she would kind of point to my heart and she would say, "David, go deep, go deep." And I had not let her read any of the book, but she just kept urging me to go deeper. And I, I think she just understood that. Look, families are hurting. I mean, and they really are. I, I get to speak to schools all around now, as I said earlier, and. I mean, high schools, universities, sometimes middle schools. And sometimes I'm talking and students just have tears streaming down their face. And I can look into their heart and I see the pain they are facing in their household. It's sad, man. And you heard what I said to set this up. Um, <clears throat> this perfect storm between the availability of some really wicked drugs and 
this notion that kids feel more despair today than ever and that they get their hope from their parents. And that's not something your kids were getting from you at one point in your life, is it? No. And Ricky, I thought I was the perfect father. I was teaching a young adult Sunday school class. I coached every new sports team my children played on. I tucked them in at night with sweet I love yous. And, you know, I was on the city council. I see myself as a role model. Um, yet my children were seeing me open a, a bottle of wine at five o'clock and, and, you know, eyeing it till it's gone, maybe getting into another. They were seeing a different story. And when my son Hudson was in recovery uh, in treatment after nearly dying um, and had a miraculous recovery, he, he told in family day, not about how I tucked him in, not of all the youth sports teams I coached. The one thing he told was he remembered being me, embar my, me embarrassing him at a family vacation because I reached in my pocket and gave him some money for ice cream when he was young. And when I put my wallet back in my pocket, I missed and I missed again. And that embarrassed him. And, you know, that's a real eye opener. Uh, I made some changes in my life, you know, really after hearing that, uh, I can promise you. You almost lost Kent, didn't you? I did. You know, she filed for divorce for good reason, honestly. And I had I had gone to a doctor when I was kind of dealing with some, what we could call it a midlife crisis. And I go in as a man and I'm, I'm proud. And I, what I don't say is sometimes I feel depression. Sometimes I feel like I'm not using all of my talent. What I said is, uh, I feel shame for mistakes. What I said is, Oh, I, I'm just, I, for the first time, I can't finish this book on time. And I think if I could just get my book finished, then everything would be fine. And he prescribed me Adderall. And I'm not, you know, what I did was then talk him into taking the prescription to the top of the dosage he could possibly give. And in 18 months, I lost my empathy. I lost my soul. It felt like communion with the devil. Look, I, I mean, came from a doctor or not, Ricky, I, I was on speed and I was hooked. And yeah. my life. I I loved your TEDx talk. Um, it's a TED talk that's that's derived from a community effort, right. and it was at Ole Miss, and it was terrific. I think a little over seventeen minutes. Thank you. Um, so powerful and so poignant, and I think that's one of the the uh, hallmarks of TED talks that they're, they're they are brief, and I can only imagine. The, the amount of thought that went into doing that TED talk. I can't even imagine the thought that went into that. What, you know, tell I, me, I want to talk about the talk, but I want to, how in the world did yeah. you get it to a 17 minute message? How do you take the, the, both the failure, because what that talk was, and I really appreciate your kind words, what that was, was both encapsulating in 17 minutes the entire failure of my life and its rebirth <laughs> yeah and that's something in 17 minutes and I, I did work hard on that and so i appreciate that but also ricky i gotta tell you i worked hard on it from a soul searching and uh look i don't mean to get too much on a faith uh, corner here but but faith was such a big part of changing my life and i can't deny that fact and 
it took a lot of prayer to get on that stage for that talk and say what I did, because that was my first time, I think, as a professional to come out and look and say, hey, folks, it's not just my son that died. It's not just my other son who nearly died or my daughter who was, you know, eaten up with eating disorder. It's also me. I am someone who su suffered from substance use disorder and I wrecked my family because of it. But oh, by the way, I now have my joy. I have my wife back. And I have my my joy in in professional, you know, beyond anything I ever could imagine. That was that talk, and I, I really appreciate that. I would really encourage people to do a search David McGee TED Talk and go watch the TED Talk. I'm I know there had to have been, you know, as a father, I'm I'm watching that and I'm thinking, gosh, how how tragic and how much thought there must have been around just in this notion of being honest, you know, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable, you know, from vulnerability ultimately becomes strength. I don't care if you're talking about a human yeah. being right. or a community, you know, but the truth is to, to be, I mean, I mean, like exponentially vulnerable. <laughs> it's amazing to me that you were, you were able to do that because through that, I thought it was another thing you said on that. Good morning. That means the uh, CBS thing where you said something like, you know, you're just a, the average family. You're you're every you're every family. You know, and I think well, part of your message exactly is yeah. we're no, we're nobody. Like you sent a whole crew from CBS down for two days. I mean, we're nobody. But look, we're everybody because when I what you and I know, which is why you're devoting this time for care for parents and families, is this this used to be a problem, Ricky, when we were young. I mean, we we we, we would almost turn our nose up at people who kind of, we would see the drug dealer as some shadowy figure and people <laughs> off in the corner doing drugs. And we're almost snobby about like that. I, I mean, all of us, to be honest. And nowadays, this is in every church, it's in every family, it's in every school. This is an American crisis and I just realized that, well, first of all, for me personally, I I used to battle some depression and anxiety, and I got to be honest, I almost have, as close to as a human can get to zero now, I'm still human, but part of it became, I think went away. The moment I started speaking that truth you're talking about, it, it, it evaporated, almost like sugar dissolving in water. It just evaporated. It, and it then, is. Um, let, let's do this. Hold your thought right there. It, it evaporated. We're going to pick it up right there on the yeah. other side. I had a similar bout with anxiety really early in my career. And uh, I'll share with you some advice a doctor gave me along the way. And I, and I, want, to, I want to hear more about how you came to grips with it by being so outwardly and honest about the situation. Anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with David McGee. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great time to be on the coast, and we love talking about it. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a terrific conversation, an important conversation, especially for parents with my friend David McGee, who wrote a book, Dear William. And uh, boy, he he bared it all. And 
I think I think David, as as we were as we were going to break, we were talking about um, you have not felt any anxiety since you sort of had this cleansing of the soul, so to speak. How do you, I mean? It, because I think everyone faces anxiety. I mentioned that I did as well. I had a I had a I had I just re- really quickly mentioned that I had a surgery and discovered through the surgery that I have a hypersensitivity to narcotics and I had a seizure. And long story short, ended up going to to uh, uh, the uh, a, a neurology specialist in South Carolina, uh, Dr. Julian Adams was his name. I'll never forget it. And he told me, he said, you know, you have a hypersensitivity to narcotics. You're not predisposed to be an epileptic. But the the feeling that I might have a seizure, you know, that this it was feeling would come on, and then it would lead to a panic attack. And I, it was just it was completely debilitating. And he he said, look, listen to me. You don't have epilepsy. Just get a grip. Don't go treat this with drugs. If you need, if you need help, you know, talk to a psychologist, which I didn't do. I just did a lot of research about it, and I finally came to grips with it and never looked back. Uh, but it, man, to have to feel that, and I know exactly what that feels like. It is, it is. You you're afraid to do anything because it just takes you over. So what is it about what you did that helped you? Right. Just cleanse it. Uh, it really did help me cleanse, and truth is at the backbone of that. And so much of us, look, we humans are complicated, and it starts with family when we are children, and we can have the happiest and best household, and we can love our parents so much. But, you know, they talk about family being the root of our socialization, and there's no doubt that's true. But it, it also is often the root of our pain, our wounds, and, um, you know, for me, I was adopted uh, out of New Orleans. I didn't literally know who I was. A lot of your listeners will know uh, Seller, the old Sellers uh, Baptist Adoption Home. I didn't literally and sometimes figuratively, figuratively didn't know who I was. And, and then you add on things. We all make mistakes when we're young. We all make mistakes in marriage. We all make mistakes. And we feel shame sometimes of those. And I think that thatching kind of piled up. For me, Ricky, what I learned is you know, I think when it would pile up, I would almost try to hide it and cover it up and act like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. When I finally spoke a truth of here's who I am, here's my brokenness. Then I actually got unbroken and found healing. It was really just freeing the self of what you talk about. And it, it, a lot of it's humility. A lot of it's um, just putting it out there. And, and truly, it, you know, I think people finally began to look at me differently. I saw people look in my eyes with a truth back, a reflection I saw back that for the first time, honestly felt like a man and a human who, who had some maturity and, and happiness and joy. Well, what's powerful about this whole notion of, first of all, you being willing to tell your story, of course, but this notion of being every family, uh, that every family Every family has their struggles and their challenges. That's just a reality. And the fact is that kids do look to their parents for hope. And what was so poignant and important about your your TED talk and the particular road trip that you described that you and William went on, it was the fact that you learned, certainly you observed his, what you believed to be his drug abuse while on that trip, but you, the bigger story was you owning your own situation. And there was no way to fix William when you had to fix yourself. It was uh, it was just powerful, wasn't it? You know, I'm I'm thinking I'm going to be this good father. 
I'm, I'm worried my college-age son is struggling with substances, so I'm going to talk to him on this trip across the country between the two of us, two of us of lessons of good living and life and how not to you know, invest in substances and the value of faith and uh, ridding all that adds no valuable value. And everything I said to him, Ricky, keeps bouncing back at me so that by that soon I have this reflection and I'm looking not at my son, wait, I'm looking at myself. And I realize, why do I turn to a drink every day at five o'clock? Why am I taking this prescription speed when I don't need it? I, I, I need to look inward and make changes in my life. And I literally, by the time I arrived at the end of that trip, had done that. And it changed my life. And honestly, faith was a big part of that. I, I realized I, I've been this man who's driven by ego, who thinks I will go overpower the world. But the truth is, I'm just a, a small being in a very, very big, vast universe. And I needed to uh, give in to that and quit trying to overpower it. It's powerful. I was, um, I, I thought that converse, part of the conversation, you had a great conversation with Marshall Ramsey, and there was a moment where we were, he was talking about he has three sisters and he can look to them for some DNA evidence because, you know, they're, they're, they're blood. And you didn't have that. And how often did that factor into your thinking? Oh, so often. When I was a child and people, you know, I felt like a black sheep, you know, and and I couldn't find a reflection of myself until my son William was born in 1990. I had never seen any blood on this earth that was mine um, and, and really did not find the rest of my family until about three years ago, actually three years ago, um, just almost exactly. But now that I have all the answers and I can see myself in them, it has helped me so much. I can see strengths and I can see weaknesses. As you talk about Marshall saying, like it, it helps us to better balance ourselves by looking at that reflection. It's uh, again, we don't have time to go into all these details, but um, in fourth grade, you discovered that lead was, is poisonous and you yeah. wondered if you poked yourself, if that would cause you to die. Right. And then it, and when you were 14, you uh, you were voted most friendliest and someone wrote on the ballot box only when drunk or something like that. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, you're you're. The, the the challenges you face most of your life, and frank and frankly, lots of people face challenges. There, I mean, a lot of people face the issues with depression and whatever. Yes, and that factors in as you grow older, factors into the family dynamic in ways we can't fully appreciate. And what's so what's so awesomely powerful about your story is the willingness to sort of put all of that out there on the table so that people can see it in its totality. So hopefully, just hopefully. They can relate to it and say, man, that's me. That's that's yeah. me. And yeah. yes, that, that's my child. And what can I do about it? I'm sure there are people listening to this show now that, that know that they have a problem and there's something they need to do about it. And what do you advise? Because what's what's interesting about your story, David, is that you really have made it your message. You, How many speeches have you given? Oh, my gosh. Well, about six this week. <laughs> Good <laughs> no, Lord. That, that, you know, this is, you know, it's early in the week. About six uh, in the last seven days. 
Um, you know, I have been from a, I was at Baylor University for three days, which was an amazing experience just a week or two ago. I was at Montclair, New Jersey at a high school. I was down at Jackson Academy, Oxford High School. This is all just in short time. Um, people, you know, and, and so one of the biggest differences I say, what we've learned is, and here's why I appreciate you doing this show so much and the attention you focus on this. We have to break the stigma because how we free people is them realizing I am not alone because everybody, there's a spectrum of crisis, but probably everybody sometime in their life will brush into some level of it or a loved one will, right? And, and if a loved one does, you feel that pain, which can often push you there. So two things. One, we have to break the stigma. I'm going to say three things. Two, um, we counseling makes all of the difference in the world. It works. But the earlier, the better. Parents, if you feel like your children are exhibiting some things that are you're a little uncomfortable with or they share they need some help, get them counseling. It works but it works better. The more, the earlier, the better. And the other thing I will say, Ricky, is look, we are in this crisis in America and mental health and substance uh, misuse. And we, we learned some years ago that we had to push algebra down to middle school for more learning, but we have, for some reason, not provided this whole learning of, of emotional development of to, to all, we need curriculum for middle school students of how you find and keep your happiness and joy. And that's where your alcohol and mental health curriculum falls in. We have to educate them now. By the time they are late in high school and college, a lot of their habits are already formed. And their parents need some education also to know what they're up against. So schools, education, breaking the stigma, and you know th these are big factors. You know, I can't help but wonder, you know, you can't, you cannot do anything about William's death now. William died. He's gone. That you said coming out of that, that there is divine intervention. When you think about the intersection between the, what you learn from his death and your family's challenges and your incredible ability to be a wordsmith and how communicating is now sort of one of your most valuable tools. I and mean, you put heart and soul and experience with, with your ability to communicate that you can really make a difference and that there's divine intervention in that. When we come back, I want to talk more about that. We'll be back after this break with David McGain. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I say this often, um, every now and then I run across a show that touches me deeply. It really does. This is one of those shows. and. If you're a parent, I hope you're listening carefully to this 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 incredible story. Their willingness to really kind of bear his heart and soul. David McGee, who wrote this book, Dear William, it's so much more than just about addiction. It's it's really written in a way to try to help people with their situation. They want to be just 
uh, they want to be a family that could be anywhere and, and, and at, at any time. And they want you to see through their experience something that they've that's been terribly tragic. And hopefully they can save you from having to go through that. And it's just a touching conversation. But David, when we went to break, I couldn't help but recognize the fact that as I know you as a writer and a leader and an innovator and a media guy and all the things that you know about social media and how bad that is and artificial intelligence and news feeds and all this stuff that we all know about, that you found yourself in this unique place, your willingness to sort of bear your darkest moment to, in order to give good. That it is, in a way, divine intervention. In the midst of all this tragedy, there's a sense of divine intervention, and that that's what drives you. Do you feel that? I do. I, I, it's funny. Um, I never considered myself like being this evangelist because I'm, I, 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 had, I, I was a believer, but I guess I had faith over here on this shelf. Well, my magnets got put together when my life was changed, and I'm called to do this. I mean— I didn't choose this as a profession. I didn't choose this as my message. It chose me. And and Maya Angelou used to talk about, you know, if you hadn't done anything till you crawled across the floor. Well, I, we crawled across the floor. And once I got to the other side, I stood up and realized I have this megaphone and I am told to use it. And that's yeah. really it right there. This is a calling. So tell me about the William McGee Center there at Ole Miss. So we, you know, when my son William, we we realized in his late in his senior year, when he was in the honors college, as you mentioned, and all that, we realized he had a substance problem. He was anxious and shy, and he thought he could use in college, but quit when it was time to get out. But he couldn't. And we just couldn't really find, like people, we had good source resources developed like student health services. But, you know, we live in a different world now because, as you said so eloquently in your opening, things have changed and, and we're facing crisis. Well, we realized that we needed to help the university develop that for students. So substance use, mental health disorder, students could find empathy and support. And so it we we began with a lot of stakeholders raising uh, support, financial support and helping shape that. And the Wade McGee Center opened in 2019. And we have helped students. Um, we've had a lot of publicity, which helps break the stigma and the barriers. And, but we got to help a lot more. We've only scratched the surface. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of our work has to probably get outside of college and get into high school. <laughs> That's why I go speak around at so many schools. It's all related. Well, you know, again, you know, outside of everything that you and I have talked about, if you just look at just specifically the impact that social media is having on young people, oh especially God. young girls, but I, I mean, young people in general, especially young girls, there's a lot of attention to this notion of kids not feeling like they're measuring up, you know, this whole notion of, you know, do, do they really believe they can be as accomplished as their parents were, or can they be the person yeah. they really see themselves to be in their heads? And there's so much about that. I mean, I could see sort of a William McGee Center in every university in America. It, do you see that there is the kind of, um, of, of, you know, I'm thinking about the Ford Foundation and the, and the Robert yeah, Woods Johnson Foundation, the kind of foundation support for an effort like this that you would like to see? I, I really do, and I appreciate that so much. Like I told you, when I was at Baylor University last week, they have some amazing programs underway too. In some ways, they're ahead of what where where they've been doing it longer. And but we have some things they don't have, right? So you you you're a collaborator, and that's your long history. And so what we're seeing, and they said to us, and we're saying to them is. 
What if we all begin to collaborate and create like a network and we start sharing information and deepening and then we can share it with high schools and even middle schools? That's really, I think, you're on to something and you always are. And I do think that's really probably what we're headed to. Our young people, our parents and our families need help. And we have to throw down the gauntlet for shifting this pain and swinging the pendulum back in this country and frankly, all over the world. But in America, we are in a crisis and it's time to throw down the gauntlet against this. And it's gonna take that kind of comprehensive work and unified effort. And I'll say this quickly, we're going to have to rise up above politics. On this one, it's time to quit fighting with ourselves. We have to help the children. We have to help the families. And, and we have to put our ego and our politics aside and come together to find solution. Yeah, I'm so, so frustrated by the current political scene. And I worry, worry deeply about it on a regular basis that we can't find compromise that the polarizing extremes are too often defining the agenda. And as a result, we're really not solving any of the most important problems that we have to solve. But what, what occurs to me is that, that having this, and we're coming to the end, having something like this at every university where parents don't take responsibility, it may actually be the kid that ends up taking responsibility for saving the family. So there's so many ways that this could be cut. But David, I wish we had more time together. We will have you again for sure, oh, 100% love- for sure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for bearing your soul, my friend. Oh, I love the work you do. And thanks for being a storyteller and messenger for us all. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. You touched me. We'll uh, see you tomorrow and have a great day. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.